law school. This is the part where we go around in a circle and everyone says a little bit about themselves. Let's start with you. Uh, my name is David Kidney. I have a master's in Russian literature, a PhD in biochemistry, and for the last 18 months I've been uh, deworming orphans in Somalia. Awesome. What about you? Hey, how you doing? I'm Enid Wexler. Got a PhD from Berkeley in Women's Studies, emphasis in the history of combat. And uh, last year, I single-handedly organized the March for Lesbians Against Drunk Driving. Killer. Thanks. Good times. Aaron Mitchell. I graduated first in my class from Princeton. I'm an IQ of 187. <laughs> and it's been suggested that Stephen Hawking stole his brief history of time from my fourth grade paper. Cool. Me? Yeah. Okay. Hi, I'm Elle Woods, and this is Breezer Woods, and we're both Gemini vegetarians. I have a bachelor's degree in fashion merchandising from CULA, and I was a Zeta Lambda Nu sweetheart, president of my sorority Delta Nu, and last year I was homecoming queen. Oh, two weeks ago, I saw Cameron Diaz at Fred Siegel, and I talked her out of buying this truly heinous Angora sweater. Whoever said orange was the new pink was seriously disturbed. Ah, <laughs> uh, Elle. Uh, I love this clip for so many reasons, but more on that later. First, uh, let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. May the words I'm about to share bring you glory, and may your wisdom shine through me. Amen. Joe preached last week about the end of Romans 1, including the following verses. This is starting in Romans 1, verse 29, in case you want to follow along. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Joe found one commentator that said something like, if you can read these verses without any sort of conviction, you must be a psychopath. As Jason mentioned uh, several weeks ago, Paul is writing this letter to the Jewish Christians living in Rome. And Jason said two things about this particular section of the letter. Does anyone remember what the first one was? It's set up. And the second one? Doesn't mean it's not true. The reason I think that the sermon is appropriately titled, Oh Snap, uh, I hope you guys appreciate the cover picture, it's Zoolander if you haven't seen that brilliant film, um, is due that to the fact that chapter two is the point when the curtain is drawn back and we see the great eyes. If the readers of this letter, having caught on by now, they are in for the most unpleasant surprise. Today's passage begins in Romans 2 verse 1. You, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge, judge another, you are condemning yourself. 
because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience? not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. So picture these early Christians living in Rome, observing the unbelieving Gentile people surrounding them. I can only imagine that they must be feeling pretty good about themselves right about now. Not only are they God's chosen people, the people that, that God has given his blessing to and his word to, but now they have found their Messiah in Jesus. They might even think so far to believe that they are doubly chosen. So when Paul talks about the sins that these Gentiles are committing, they might be thinking, um, yeah, duh, we could have told you how awful these people are. Thank God we are nothing like that. Paul, interestingly enough, begins the next part of his letter with the word, therefore. You grammar geeks in the crowd might already know that therefore is a sentence connector. It links the sentence to follow with what was just written. In place of therefore, you could also put consequently or in light of. Paul continues to launch an attack on human judgment. He knows that the readers of this letter are spending a whole lot of energy judging their neighbors. As I was meditating on these verses in preparation for this sermon, I got to thinking about human judgment and the ways we judge each other. So what does human judgment look like? The more I thought about it, I came up with three basic categories that our judgments fall into. Let's see if I can use this thing. Yeah. This one's for my stepdad, Chip, sitting right there. Uh, first category, instant or snap judgment. If I was to pull onto a road and see this vehicle parked, well, it'd be hard to ignore it. My first response would probably be, man, what a, insert your own colorful adjective here. When I told Jason of my adjective of choice, he told me he'd pay me $5 to say that word from the pulpit. <laughs> uh, but I just can't bring myself to it with my mom sitting right there. I just can't do it. So you'll just have to use your imagination. Um, in any case, my mind would have continued on to wonder about the owner of such a vehicle, and I would have come up with four conclusions pretty quickly. Number one, it must be a guy. No self-respecting woman would own a vehicle that looks like that. Number two, he clearly loves the Steelers in a rather unhealthy way and therefore deserves my pity. Number three, he clearly only cares about himself. I mean, how many Hummer drivers do we see that obey the speed limit, use their turn signal, you know, uh, take up only one parking spot? <laughs> right. Uh, number four, he also cares nothing about the environment and uh, probably throws his non-recyclable trash into the blue bin because he can't be bothered to walk another five feet to throw it into the regular trash can. Yeah, harsh. Yeah. But the worst part is how many assumptions I can make about a man I've never even met based on the car he drives. But if you have ever formed an opinion about someone based solely on his or her clothing, 
profession, music preferences, political affiliation, or accent, as we love to do in Baltimore, you're just as guilty of snap judgments as I am. Another word I could use for snap judgments is prejudice, which, as we know, leads to all kinds of things that are way worse than just forming an opinion. Things like racism and sexism. I'm sure you've seen how easily racism can turn into a hate crime and so on. Something that seems to start innocently enough can quickly descend into major sinfulness. Second category, short-term judgment. This image is of Miss Marianne Dashwood and Colonel Brandon from the movie adaptation of Jane Austen's brilliant novel, Sense and Sensibility. Men, let me give you a little helpful hint here. If you've never seen this movie, I suggest watching it one night with the lady in your life. Uh, you'll probably score major points, and you might even enjoy it. Anyway, Marianne is a very spirited, wear-her-heart-on-her-sleeve kind of girl who falls for a charming, yet ultimately materialistic, John Willoughby. In the meantime, Colonel Brandon, an older friend of the family, has his eyes set on Marianne. She couldn't be less interested due to his age and unremarkable appearance and makes a judgment that he has no passion or joy for life and would make a terrible partner and proceeds to treat him rather poorly for the next hour of the movie. Of course, Colonel Brandon, in a series of dramatic events, proves himself to be passionate, steadfast, and a perfect balance for Marianne. Jane Austen made her entire career writing about short-term judgments that her characters make about one another. Short-term judgments are less superficial than snap judgments, but are still usually made after only a very short time of knowing another person. They're usually based on actions of another or how we perceive another person's actions. Sometimes these judgments change once we get to know the person better, either for the better or for the worse. Then there's the clip that we watched at the beginning of today's sermon, which is from Legally Blonde. Great movie. Another great underrated movie. Each of Elwood's classmates have most likely decided at this point that this girl is completely hopeless and will certainly be dropping out before the semester's end. Maybe they're even wondering what string she pulled to get into Harvard. They might find out later that she just hired a really great Coppola director to do her entrance video. Um, but all they, ha they all did a really good job of distancing themselves completely from Elle until she proves to be a competent law student. She spends the majority of the movie overcoming the judgments people have placed on her and the way that they treat her due to those judgments. Last category, long-term judgment. Unless you've been living under a rock for the past couple of years, most Baltimore residents know exactly who this is and have rather strong feelings about her. Just in case you don't know, let me fill you in. Her name is Denise Whitting, and she's the owner of Cafe Hun in Hamden. About 18 months ago, Miss Whitting filed a trademark for the word Hun and won. She was dealing with some copyright infringement issues and felt that this was the best way to put an end to them. That meant if anyone wanted to use the word hun, including Hamden's beloved hun fest, they were required to pay her money. Let's just say that the Baltimore community didn't respond so well to this. 
She received untold amounts of hate mail. She was blasted daily in social media. There were even picket lines outside of her store. It took a visit from a famous foul-mouthed chef named Gordon Ramsay back this past November to convince her to relinquish her trademark, which she just did. Uh, from a Baltimore, article, uh, Baltimore Sun article I just found, uh, she said, I am sorry for the animosity and the hatred and everything that trademarking a word has done. Trademarking the word has not om- only almost killed me, but just about killed the business. I had the opportunity to see Denise Whitting speak at um, an entrepreneurial woman's breakfast last spring, and I felt anything but pity for her sob story. I remember quite vividly rolling my eyes, thinking her greedy, selfish, and honestly pretty stupid for taking such poor legal advice in the first place. But God has changed my heart about Denise Whitting. I see her now as a woman who made a serious mistake that might haunt her for the rest of her life. I might not be going to eat at her place anytime soon, but I feel more compassion for her now than I ever have. I wish I could say the same for Baltimore at large, but I think this is a great example of long-term judgment. There are many, many people out there that will never forgive her for what she's done. Long-term judgment can also look like a grudge against a family member that's lasted decades or when you hear your friend say, that person is dead to me. Your friend has decided that this person's actions or sin are so bad that it's simply unforgivable, to the point of no longer acknowledging that person's existence on this earth. That is serious business. Okay, you can take it down now. Now that we've looked at how we judge, Let's take a moment to discuss why we judge. Some instant or snap judgments are made almost without thought as a product of our environment, the way we were raised, the culture we live in, and so on. But short and long-term judgments are different, and we make them all for all kinds of reasons. Most of the time, I think we judge others as a way to feel better about ourselves and to feel superior to others. I used to pride myself on the fact that our daughter Margot was not introduced to fast food, namely McDonald's, until she was well over a year old. I had found some sort of parenting superiority in uh, the fact that she was exposed to almost all healthy food with very little additives or preservatives. I was always worried that she'd have one taste of those delicious french fries and be a fast food junkie for life. Quick side note, my mom always likes to tell this story. Uh, my very first word besides mama or dada was chai chai for those very same golden fried delights. So you see it's in our DNA. I had a good reason to worry about it. And while Margot still rarely eats fast food, and we've only been to McDonald's maybe less than 10 times, if we're driving anywhere within a visible distance of those golden arches, I hear a loud voice from the back of our car going, Donald's? We go Donald's? Donald's? And I'm appalled. It's, it's so bad. Thank goodness there's never been another mom in the car to witness such an example of fast food love that I tried to deny her. Which leads me to the next reason we judge one another. We tend to make judgments without knowing anything about a person's story. 
A random person in the car with us would think, based on Margot's reaction, that we go out and eat McDonald's every day and that she has an extensive collection of Happy Meal toys. Walking a mile in someone else's shoes is an old cliché, but it really is hard to make an accurate judgment of someone else's actions based on the snapshot we see of that person's life. Long-term judgment can occur especially when we are the victim of someone else's sin. Our hurt, our pain can get in the way of forgiveness and mercy. You see, human judgment is almost always more about us than it is about the other person. But the pain that our judgments can inflict on those we judge is significant. You know what I'm talking about if you've ever discovered what someone really thinks of you, either from that person's own lips or from another source, and it's not positive. If you're anything like me, that one piece of slander will stick with you far longer than a hundred pieces of affirmation. God's judgment is so much different than ours. The first point that Paul makes about God's judgment is that it is based on truth. Where our judgment consists of a skewed picture of our sin in our lives and other people's sin, God looks at each of us with total impartiality. Paul will spend more time in this letter about how Jews and Gentiles will be judged alike, so I won't get into that now. But he says later in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one can escape his judgment because not one of us can lead a perfect life. Since the readers of this letter were familiar with Jesus' teachings, it should come to no surprise to them that one doesn't need to, for example, sleep with another person's spouse in order to commit adultery. In Jesus' arguably most famous teaching, the Sermon of the Mount, he says the following, and this is starting in Matthew 5.27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. According to Jesus, it ultimately comes down to our hearts. It's not just about following the letter of the law, but the spirit behind it as well. And when we are caught up in our own sinfulness, how much more difficult is it to see another person sin clearly? Jesus also said, first take the plank out of your own eye, that then you will be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Notice how we are the ones with the plank while our brother only has a speck. I want to clarify something here. N.T. Wright made an excellent point in his commentary. We aren't to read these verses in Romans as a condemnation of moralism. This isn't a justification to let people just do whatever they want to do as long as they're not hurting anyone else. Paul's problem is not that we as Christians adhere to a moral code, or encourage our fellow believers to do the same. Approaching our brothers and sisters in Christ from a heart of love and humbleness about sin that we see as dangerous, 
or getting in the way that God, the life that God would have for that person is not what Paul is talking about here. What he is condemning is preaching one standard of living, of morals, and living another. Holding non-believers to a standard we can't even live up to is even worse. When we make judgments, we tend to do so quickly. We are also quick to anger and slow to give up grudges or forgive others. Could you imagine if God was the same way? If he took a look at one day of our lives and formed a whole opinion about us based on that one day? But he's so much better than that. God is extremely patient with us and gives us so many chances to repent. Our house church just finished reading God Behaving Badly by David T. Lamb. Lamb points out that slowness to anger is so much a part of Yahweh's character, he includes it in his name. When Yahweh reveals himself to Moses on Mount Sinai, the text says, Yahweh proclaimed his name to Moses, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. It seems interesting to me that Paul uses almost the same language to describe God in today's passage as God describes himself to Moses in Exodus. By passing judgment on others, when we have been shown so much kindness and patience from our own Heavenly Father, Paul says that we are basically telling God we don't care what he's done for us. We are holding him in contempt. It's not just wrong to judge others. It's basically equivalent to giving God the middle finger. Eugene Peterson in the message so brilliantly translates it this way. You didn't think, did you, that just by pointing your fingers at others that you would distract God from seeing all your misdoings and coming down on you hard? Or did you think that because he's such a nice God, he'd let you off the hook? Better think this one through the, from the beginning. God is kind, but he's not soft. In kindness, he takes us by the hand and leads us into radical life change. So that's my question for you. Is God's continual kindness causing any change in your life? Or is it something we take for granted so much that it doesn't even factor into our daily decision-making? God is kind, but he's not soft. If what I've said today about others rings a bell, convicts you at all, consider this upcoming season of Lent as a time to ask God to do some work in you. What would this community look like if each one of us made a sincere effort to eliminate judgment of others from our lives? If we could see people as Christ sees them, with genuine compassion, as people that are just as need, in as need of God's mercy as much as we are, what would that lead to? How much more kind, patient, and loving will we be to everyone around us? even including the Steelers' Hummer guy. If we are truly aware of God's kindness, it has to create radical life change. If you've given your life over to Christ, if you truly claim to be his disciple, then the good news is that God's final judgment will be, as Joe pointed out last week, the best thing to ever happen to you. 
It'll create the truest version of you. The you without all the baggage, without all the blemishes. If you have not yet made a decision to follow Christ, I encourage you to consider how much God loves you and desires a relationship with you. He wishes to lavishly pour out his kindness, forbearance, and patience on you. It is so freeing to know that in Jesus, we can face God's ultimate judgment with confidence that we will be found blameless. As Jason comes forward to lead us in a time of communion, let's pray. Merciful, kind Father, we don't deserve the grace you've given us. We've sinned against you time and time again and not loved our neighbors as ourselves. Please forgive us. Thank you so much for your son and his sacrifice for us. Be with us this week and show us how you want to radically change our lives. In your name we pray. Amen.